Hello, this is Linda Baker, the editor of Oregon Business Magazine. Today on the Oregon Business Broadcast, reporter Caleb Deal talks about being on assignment for three very different articles. One is about influencer marketing in the outdoor gear industry. The second is about changes roiling the plumbing profession. And the third is about Dax the Robot coming to Philoma, small town in the Willamette Valley. Never a dull moment at Oregon Business. Is that right, Caleb? Always uh, on the road. That's right. Just another day in the office. Linda. A day in the life in Oregon Business. All right. So, Caleb, let's start with your story about social media influencers in the outdoor gear industry. You went on the trail with brand ambassadors. And one of the places you went to was the evocatively named Crack in the Ground, Oregon. You were there with Andy Best a guy you refer to as a macro influencer. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to hang out and crack in the ground with Andy. Sure, well, uh, I met up with Andy Best in the Bend Market of Choice parking lot, uh, where he was sort of already promoting some of the brands that he works for. Uh, he was packing his guac guy, uh, Yerba Mate into a cooler and telling me all about that. And then we drove out to crack in the ground uh, and just sort of camped out there for uh, a night, and he was setting up for a shoot, uh, shooting a time lapse, uh, and getting some star trails in there. So we went and scouted out the location. Uh, we took some drone footage, uh, and then set up for this time lapse in the dark in the uh, crack in the ground. So he was out there taking photos. Um, and he was working for a brand. Is that correct? Tell us. Uh, yeah, that's right. Tell us a little bit about his job. Yeah, he was uh, doing a shoot for several brands, and his job's kind of an interesting balance of these passion projects. Uh, he makes some really neat documentary films, uh, but he to keep the lights on and just keep the cash flowing, he needs to uh, go out and do some product shoots. Uh, but it's interesting. He doesn't get the product in the shot most of the time. Uh, he'll go and shoot a process shoot of uh, his lifestyle and how he works and his camera gear. And then uh, he might post that on a brand website um, in a post, say, on you know how he shoots a time lapse at Crack in the Ground. And consumers see these shots. And the idea is that they will go out and buy these products if they can see them because they're so subtly presented. One of the things that you get at in this article is the transition between macro influencers like Andy, who have 600,000 followers, uh, to uh, micro influencers who have fewer followers, but maybe more engagement to use the jargon of, of uh, social media mm, marketing. Yeah, so can you unpack that, us, unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. Uh, so it seems that most brands have this sort of three-tiered system for influencers. And at the top of the pyramid, you've got your macro influencers, your pro snowboarders, your pro skiers, your adventure filmmakers like Andy. Uh, and then there's some mid-range ones uh, with maybe 10,000 to 25,000 followers. Uh, and then at the bottom, you've got all these people, hundreds of people with 1,000 followers, uh, maybe even in the hundreds. Uh, but they're really valuable 
because maybe they're local and they connect with their local community. Uh, they get a lot more engagement, a lot more likes and retweets and reposts and things like that. Uh, and so even though less people are seeing their content, more people are interacting with it, which is what brands really want in the end. Okay. And in fact, uh, you so you went out on the road with a macro influencer out on the trail, I mm -hmm. should say, with a macro influencer, Andy Best. But you also went out on the trail with some micro influencers, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, this was another adventure uh, this adventure took you to the top of Mount St. Helens or you almost made it to the top of Mount St. Helens uh, yeah right? <laughs> we uh, we got close and we ran into a little bit of trouble along the way uh, yeah that started when uh, I was interviewing uh, Alexandra Lev and she is what we would call a micro influencer uh, and at the end of the interview you know I'm an outdoorsy person too and we talked about that a little bit and then she's like hey do you want to go climb Mount St. Helens with us on Saturday and I was like sure yeah and so uh, that's how I ended up waking up at 4 a.m. on a Saturday and uh, going up to climb Mount St. Helens with them. Uh, and that was really good evidence of just how many people are buying into the outdoor industry and the growth that it's experiencing, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we were just parading up this mountain with hundreds and hundreds of people and ice axes and crampons and skis. And uh, it was almost like we're just walking up to the max station and you forget about the dangers because there's just so many people. Uh, but then we were reminded of the dangers when we saw a couple people slide. Um, one lady was skinning up on her skis and she just slid down and everybody kind of held their breath as she just shot this gap in between boulders and she came to rest in this bowl and uh, she's a little shaken up but she's okay and so that got us to start thinking about well maybe it's time to go down uh, and just as we were having that thought and kind of debating whether we wanted to make it to the summit or not um, our fears were confirmed when a second man slid down Jeez. and he wasn't so lucky and he yeah. hit the boulders and uh, he needed some medical attention but fortunately there were five or ten medical professionals who were climbing and were on the scene right away uh, and they got him down okay um, but it was a good reminder of uh, the danger involved in some of these sports. So the micro-influencers, I think, kind of toe that line where they are doing activities that are accessible to the broader population. You can relate to them. Uh, but they are also doing things that are technical enough where they have the authority to sell the gear. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Well, I was very glad to see you walk into the office in one piece uh, <laughs> yeah. on Monday morning after you went on that. Hike. Yeah, that was probably the uh, riskiest Oregon business story that we've reported. <laughs> So the micro-influencers at some level really represent kind of the democratization then of the outdoor gear advertising industry, because as you say, these micro-influencers appeal more to kind of the everyday folk. But but uh, the micro-influencers and this democratization and the brands moving more aggressively into outdoor spaces sort of gets at one of the big picture themes you hit on in your article, which is kind of the intensifying relationship between outdoor brands and environmental protection on the one hand, but also the commercialization of the outdoors on the other. Yeah, I think uh, brands and outdoor adventurers are getting tied together today more than ever before. Uh, it used to be you kind of had these people, you know, that we might call dirt bags, you know, people who have duct tape boots and they're driving their old 
uh, clunky cars up the mountain and they're just out there for the adventure. But now, you know, if you're living in a van, a, a brand will discover you for that and they'll want to capitalize on it and make money from it and they might pay you to live in your van. Right, but... So it's sort of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, that is bringing uh, the private sector into uh, the the wilderness, and the wilderness in the popular imagination is a very pristine, commercial-free space, and it's just not that way anymore. But there are pros to that as well. Mm -hmm. We see that some of the companies, many of the outdoor brands, are sort of waiting. Some of them are waiting tentatively, and some of them are marching ag- more aggressively into the arena of environmental protection. Yeah, very aggressively. Uh, you see campaigns like Keen Footwear's Live Monumental campaign, uh, which is protesting the shrinking of several national monuments around the country. Uh, And a lot of corporations are really throwing their weight around in that political space now. Uh, And they're using the influencers to align with them and get their message out to the consumers. Uh, And a lot of influencers are eager to do that. And it comes from a genuine place. You know, if they can help these brands sell more gear that uh, creates more money to support these environmental campaigns and that protects more lands for uh, influencers to go out and do what they like to do in the first place. Let's go somewhere completely different now. Let's get off the mountains. Let's get out of the wilderness and uh, talk about plumbers and virtual reality technology. So um, plumbers are very different from outdoor gear, micro or macro influencers. All right. Uh, They are, and I think they would admit to this themselves, they are lagging a bit in technology, Mm -hmm. social media and otherwise. Plumbing is a blue-collar profession. We think of it as kind of gritty. But actually, uh, they are moving forward as well. Uh, And you hung out with some plumbers in a Tualatin training center, and you were testing out some virtual reality technology. Right. Uh, I went, and there was a group of about 10... Uh, union plumbers uh, standing around and they're kind of what you would expect plumbers to look like pretty gritty uh, guys with beards and baseball caps and flannels uh, but they had a lot of uh, gizmos and gadgets that they were really eager to show me and we tried on the uh, hollow lens which is a pair of augmented reality glasses that projects a three-dimensional image in the world around you of a building plan uh, so the plumbers can literally point and say you you know, that pipe goes here. I'm going to put it right here where it says on the glasses. Uh, it kind of looks when you're looking through it like the uh, old Windows 3D pipe screensaver, you know, that we're familiar with from the early 2000s. Um, but it is really making plumbing uh, and related trades a lot more precise and um, saving them countless hours. Okay. This technology is one way that plumbers are kind of rebranding themselves for the knowledge economy. And the article that you wrote, which is called Pipe Dreams, How Plumbers Are Rebranding for the Knowledge Economy, is looking at some of the challenges plumbers face in attracting 
young people to the profession in a time when really everybody wants to be a coder or work for a tech company. And so plumbers are really face, you know, they face a couple of different challenges. One is bringing technology into the future. And as you just told us, they are beginning to do that. But the other challenge is really, it's a branding challenge. It's a marketing challenge. And uh, you talked to uh, an ad guy for this story mm-hmm. and asked him how he might address the branding children, a challenge. And really, it's about, you know, how do you make plumbing sexy? How do you, how do you make plumbing appeal to uh, millennials who want to be in this knowledge economy? Right. Uh, and my answer being a millennial would be just throw on a pair of augmented reality glasses and uh, that'll get you interested in the trades real quick. He came up with sort of a campaign that would be a, a series of vignettes uh, contrasting what we traditionally think of plumbers, you know, pipe wrenches, plumber jokes, uh, outdated stereotypes with what uh, they're really doing, which is uh, quickly adapting to new technology uh, and kind of carrying forward the uh, environmental ethos that resonates with a lot of uh, millennials and those in younger generations. Um, you know, plumbers are kind of the standard bearers of sanitation and bringing uh, civilization and free-flowing water to you know the developing world and to uh, reforming our uh, critical infrastructure that we need to grow as a society. But I think that was a little uh, maybe too philosophical and heavy-handed for these uh, gritty plumber guys that I talked to. Uh, you know, they said, you know, we don't need an ad campaign, just show them our wages. Uh, and they did, and it blew me out of the water, and they were right. Um, you know, a apprentice plumber with zero plumbing experience can make about 17 an hour. Uh, and that goes up to about 43 an hour when you're a journeyman plumber. Uh, and your most experienced plumbers are making, you know, on par with probably some of my college professors um, who taught at a college where I accrued a lot of debt and that I wouldn't have uh, accumulated if I just went into plumbing. Okay, let me interrupt so, you here, yeah. Kayla. Actually, they're making more than your college professors. Uh, yeah. so. <laughs> That's right. right. I'm trying to make myself feel a little better, Linda. <laughs> okay. Um, Right, so I mean that's the that's the challenge, that's the paradox, right? Plumbers make good wages. The work today is becoming more challenging intellectually as these new technologies like the virtual reality progress, but they still suffer from this branding problem. And I think it really goes to show that in 2018, branding is everything marketing is is all um and uh the plumbers i think are becoming aware of this and who knows we may see um uh an ad campaign for plumbers coming to i don't know a trimet bus near you sometime right yeah it's it's kind of you know branding is everything and so maybe plumbers have more in common with social media influencers so exactly right think. yeah Let's, let's move from virtual reality technology to uh, robotics and automation. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about your feel-good story, Dax the robot coming to the small town of Philomath. Dax is a semi-autonomous Hello. robot. He's a delivery robot, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he was designed by a company called Nova Dynamics. And that company hopes to solve the so-called last mile problem, how to get 
deliveries from distributors to consumers. So uh, how to get something from an Amazon warehouse to uh, a residence. And Dax the robot is there to help fill the gap. And you hung out with Dax for, I don't know, what was it, an hour or two? Yeah, a couple hours. And saw what he does. So you would think you'd find Dax in that uh, those dense urban cores where the last mile problem is really prevalent. Uh, so I was surprised to find Dax in his hometown of Philomath, Oregon, uh, which is population 4,600 roughly. Uh, and he was cruising around uh, delivering a burrito, uh, delivering a Subway sandwich. And he's just this little, uh, you know, the obvious comparison is R2-D2 or Wally um, sized robot. Uh, and he rolls around the street. He kind of looks both ways at crosswalks. Uh, he'll look up at you and acknowledge you in kind of a very human way. Um, and he moves at a pretty good clip. I had to follow him around at a pretty uh, brisk walk or light jog sometimes. Um, but I think what I was struck by following Dax is uh, not the comments that people made, but just how few comments were made um, and how quickly people adjusted to this new future. Yeah, you know, uh, I, this story, um, you know, reminds me of, uh, I don't know, Mork and Mindy, the television show right. about, you know, a guy from outer space coming to a small town, and maybe this is kind of the 21st century equivalent. But I did get the feeling reading your story that this, you know, this is the kind of thing that could be opted for a television show, Dax the Robot coming to small town Oregon. Yeah, maybe this is the future <laughs> of sitcoms. Yeah. Right, right, right. The future of sitcoms. But actually, seriously, you know, there is a certain incongruity to the story, as you point out, that this kind of cutting-edge technology, cutting-edge robotics. We hear a lot about autonomous vehicles, about automation. And as you point out, this was not happening in Portland in a metropolitan area. It was happening in a small town. And we've been talking about branding. And I think this is a good kind of morality tale for small towns that are struggling economically. Technology has really flattened uh, the world, and you don't need to be a metropolitan area to take advantage of new technology or to test drive new technology. And in fact, many technology companies like this one may be eager to test out their products on in, in smaller communities. So it's not just that Dax the Robo Robot might make a good television show, Dax the Robot may make a good tourism or economic development campaign for uh, for the community. Technology is coming, whether we like it or not. The question is, how are these companies and how are these communities going to reboot, reorganize, and rebrand in response to those changes? Yeah, and I think just how DAX ties into this branding discussion is, um, you know, branding and marketing today is all about telling stories and what a compelling story to have this robot. You know, I followed him as he went into the local uh, Mexican joint and the owner who's owned the place for about 20 years, uh, you know, saying we've never seen anything like Dax, but she's so willing to uh, accept this new technology. And, you know, she just said, why not try something new? Um, and the city council there, you know, never seen anything like a robot, but they were immediately willing to sign a memorandum of understanding and allow the robot to be tested on their streets. Um, and then, you know, the DAX's owner is going to leverage that. And when he goes to a bigger metropolitan area, he can say, hey, this worked in small town Philomath. Everybody accepted it here. So why not have it here? And that's a great uh, selling point for him. 
Um, so kind of uh, the root of all these branding campaigns is uh, just telling original stories and trying to find genuine stories to tell. Coming to small town Philomath, Oregon. Philomath, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That would be kind of funny, actually. Philomath. 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 Philomath.